Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 16. This is the Sunday between August 21st and 27th, and we are in year C. The series theme that we began last week is called Hard Truth. We are following Jesus in Luke's gospel as he makes his way to Jerusalem. And as he makes this journey to the cross, we notice how Jesus is very blunt when he talks about discipleship and really about anything else, too. We call some of these hard sayings of Jesus, and we will be looking at some of those in the course of this series and to parts of uh, scripture that relate to those same things that Jesus are saying. Jesus, of course, is challenging us first and foremost as preachers, as his followers and disciples to listen to his words and to digest them. And then as we proclaim the word, he wants to challenge our listeners with those same words. And we remember, of course, that this is all motivated by a heart of love. Jesus wants us to know true life, and therefore he wants us to take up our crosses and walk the hard path, digesting these hard truths so that we too can share in his crown. So today, as I mentioned, we're working with proper 16 the readings for the Sunday honor before or honor between, excuse me, August 21st and 27th. The theme we're working with this week, the first will be last and the last will be first. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary and our preachers for this series, Pastor Ben Tomzak, serving Bethel Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Pastor John Bergaman, who serves Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Downers Grove, Illinois. So Ben and John, welcome, and thank you for being with us and uh, guiding us through this Hard Truth series. Um, I'll kick things off just with a couple words about the theme for the day. The first will be last, the last will be first. Uh, we hear Jesus speak those words in the gospel of the day, which is the text we'll be focusing on. Uh, Luke's gospel is famous for a theme or a motif that runs through it. We often call it the great reversal. You can think back even to Mary in the Magnificat. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones, but has lifted up the lowly, right? He has filled the hungry with, with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And that's just a couple mentions of the great reversal theme among more that are just there in the Magnificat. And there are countless other instances of this throughout Luke's gospel. Today, we hear one way that motif is expressed. And one time, among several, Jesus speaks these words in Luke, or words very close to this, a memorable little chiasm. The first will be last, and the last will be first. What Jesus is thinking about in this instance and referring to is how many people that we might have thought were kind of shoe-ins for heaven will end out end up missing out on it, while others that we never would have expected will end up there. Because in God's kingdom, things often don't work out the way human beings expect them to work out. In fact, often God does things in a way diametrically opposite the way we would predict. So the first will be last, the last will be first. Well, with that theme kind of in, in mind, uh, Ben, could we go to you first and um, if you could give us a quick summary of the scripture readings for today, we'll be focusing on the gospel uh, in particular for our sermon text. So 
you could highlight uh, that along with the first and second readings and show us a little bit how they fit together. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, if you want to summarize uh, these lessons, uh, one of the words that could bind the three of them together is terrifying. <laughs> Uh, the things Jesus says are terrifying. The truths that come out are terrifying. I, I want to start with Isaiah, the Old Testament lesson. Uh, and it, it's kind of terrifying in two ways, I think. First, there's some pretty gruesome language about, about uh, destruction and judgment, uh, a worm that won't die, a fire that won't be quenched. So we get, we get some pretty hellish language. And, and it's especially stunning because we think of Isaiah as the Old Testament evangelist, but he ends like Malachi or else. You know, the whole Old Testament ends on a kind of a downbeat, and so does Isaiah. Uh, in fact, this whole chapter kind of bookends with or else, as God starts the chapter with, all your sacrifices, Israel, are abominations to me. Um, everything you're doing is just the worst. Um, and he reiterates one of his scenes, you got to get back to me before I, I leave. So he, he appeals to Israel, and then he does it in such a beautiful way. He calls himself their mother. Let me be your mother. Um, but because Israel is just so dreadful. And if you think of the kings Isaiah was prophesying under, it was, it was a bad time. Um, so what he does is he finishes by showing how he's going to reach out to other people. And that's got to be terrifying for the Israelites to think God might kind of turn his focus away. He's going to go to these other nations um, and, and bring them in. And then triply terrifying, I'm going to use those nations to bring you guys back in. So it's terrifying and embarrassing for them. Um, and he says, this has always been your fault, uh, and, and that's why I stand with that word of unending fire. If you insist on your own strength and power, Israel, which you have none of, uh, this, is, this is what will happen. So it's just, just this terrifying, fiery end, um, which matches with almost exactly the words Jesus will use in the gospel that, that uh, John Bergman will point out to us about Jesus with the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, some terrifying words. Then he takes us, we get to Hebrews, and we pick up where we left off last week. Um, last week, we had fixed our eyes on Jesus, and, and he had reminded the, the, the readers and, and us about enduring God's discipline. And he, he also terrifies us a little bit because uh, he, he terrifies us by saying there's something wrong with Mount Sinai. He says this mountain that, that is held up as the pinnacle of, of all mountains theologically for Israel and, and, and really for us, too, uh, there, there's something wrong here. And, and, and he hints at this path we would never suspect, which is the whole point Jesus will get to this, this narrow path where we're surprised about. Um, and he has to get to this because this is what we've always had a problem with. We've always been interested in outward holiness. We've loved Mount Sinai. When you read Mark 7, which, uh, which we have in, in, uh, in our three-year cycle of lessons where Jesus has to rebuke the, the Pharisees for their outward worship, um, it's about traditions of men. That's Sinai. We long for it. We really want to be at that terrifying place so that we can say to God, I've done it. Look what I've done. Um, it made me think of Frodo at Mount Doom, right? In the Lord of the Rings series. You make this terrifying, horrific journey. You stand there with all the things you've done for, well, for Gandalf, if you're in the Lord of the Rings, but for God. And you got it. And I'm going to throw all this into the flames for you, God. But he immediately throws it away and says, there's a different mountain, a better mountain. It's Mount Zion, a place of peace and joy the place where you fix your eyes on Christ, a peace and joy won by Christ. He, he turns us away from ourselves to the mountain where Jesus says, I did it. And he's got this blood to sprinkle, the best blood of all. And he says, with that blood, somehow you get to this mountain. And that really, I think, is the connector from Hebrews to Luke, that 
that weird, unique blood is such a narrow path. It's the only possible way to this Mount Zion. And somehow we get there. And somehow all the nations get there. As small of a group as that might appear to be. So these words, whilst terrifying, as, as we take in their implications, in the end, they show us God's narrow path. I am your father. I am your mother even. I am the one with the blood to sprinkle upon you. And that's what, what Jesus will get to in the gospel that, that John's going to tell us about. Yeah, well, let's get to that then, John. Um, uh, thank you, Ben, for excellent summary of the other two readings and uh, showing us how they uh, interconnect with one another and with the gospel. Um, John Bergman, can you get us started then on thinking about Luke 13, 22 to 30? Sure. Uh, last week, we heard some strong language to fix our eyes on Jesus as we, we studied Hebrews, striving uh, against maybe some more things that are on the outside, things that would cause division and want to rip us away and, and standing up for him. We're going to hear a lot of that striving language again in the gospel, um, but now we're maybe fighting against some things that come more from the inside, and, and Ben did an excellent job of kind of summarizing some of those ideas already, the outward piety, or I'm good enough because I belong to a certain group, or I'm good enough on my own. Next week, just looking ahead, we're going to be striving against thoughts that come from that too, that, that brings pride, but we're going to be called here to fight against that idea and focus and fix our eyes on Jesus again, but uh, as he is the only way and the narrow door and path to eternal life. As we begin with Luke chapter 13, we see Jesus, in a sense, fixing his eyes on the goal too, striving to be that narrow door for us. He's uh, going through towns and villages, but he's, he's making progress, literally almost the text says, going towards Jerusalem. He's going to save us in the only way possible by going to die on a cross. He, he loves us that much. So just uh, as Ben so well said, these are, are terrifying words in all the readings. And yet it begins with a beautiful picture, Jesus setting out for Jerusalem again because he loves us that much. Well, well he's so serious in his love for us that he gives us serious words. And Luke 13 begins with a, a serious question. Some said to him, Lord, our are only a few going to be saved. And as Jesus does many times, and he, of course, does it perfectly and well, he, he answers the question in the way that needs to be answered, maybe not in the way that they always want the answer, or we do too, <laughs> all the details. And he answers the question, but he doesn't really address that concept of, of exactly how many. Um, because in a sense, that wasn't important for them or for us to know that that's in God's hands. He needed to focus them and he needs to focus us on that real truth that we need to keep focused on how we are saved, uh, on him who is the only narrow way, the, the door. Um, just a, a quick illustration maybe to think about it. And, and uh, of course, all illustrations limp, so to speak. They're imperfect, but I, I served military for a long time in my ministry. And you know, Navy SEALs, to become a Navy SEAL is one of the, the hardest things to do. I must imagine this group of prospective Navy SEALs gathering together, their commanders telling them about the road ahead, how serious they need to be. And someone raises their hand and just starts asking questions. Well, how many Navy SEALs are, is the Navy going to accept this year? And, and what about that guy over there? Do you think he's going to make it? <laughs> that that drill instructor would probably say, you don't need to worry about that. That's not your business. Your business is listening to me. 
and doing what needs to be done next. Make every effort to keep following where I'm going to lead you. Uh, maybe that's just a little bit of an intro to get us jumping into the text, and I'll, I'll pass it back uh, to you, John. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, I noticed that also in the text, how um, the question is posed to Jesus. Jesus uh, kind of talked to us about other people, um, how many will be saved, and Jesus immediately directs it right back to, yeah, you, uh, second person, got the imperative that he answers with. And even uh, right after that, when he does talk about, um, thinking verse 24, many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Okay, you think, okay, switch back to third person. Uh, nope, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside weeping. So it's back to second person already. So uh, I, I appreciate how you pointed that out, John, that um, people want to approach this question as sort of an impersonal thing or a matter of curiosity. Uh, hey, tell me about other people. And Jesus, as he does other places, including I think uh, earlier in Luke 13, uh, he points it right back to each of us as individuals or each of us maybe as a, a church community and says, um, yeah, you don't need to be worried about others. Think about you and your connection uh, with the Lord and what that is going to mean for your present and your future. Um, yeah, I, I noticed that too. as uh, a strong theme here. Um, yeah, uh, the... The another thing that strikes me, and maybe you, you guys can comment on this if you want, it's kind of the um, the combination of exclusivity and inclusivity in this section. Um, there is a narrow door, uh, there is one access point, and it is narrow. But then, as you read on through the text, and Ben, you mentioned this in connection with the Isaiah reading too, it's so inclusive. Many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and take their seats at the at recline at the, the feast. Um, so there's also this radical uh, inclusivity that's here, too. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts uh, related to that, kind of the, those two themes um, uh, connecting here in this text. Uh, John, I think, you, you, could, I think you could argue that's the main point of the text, right? Yeah. If we're going to... You know, use your propositional statement that we have a universal kingdom, but there's also the eternal nature of being left out of it. Mm -hmm. So these two very, I guess that's an inclusive statement that eternal death is eternal. Yeah. Being left out is, you know, that's also a for sure thing. So you, you, I think you've kind of hit on one of our main things that Jesus is striving to show us um, as narrow as the door is, he's doing everything he can to make sure people are getting through it mm -hmm. uh, before the door would shut. So it's his urgency uh, is in there. So I, yeah, I, that, that weird inclusive exclusive, which comes back in the chiasm at the end, um, which I think, I, I don't, it, yeah, you, we always talk about are there exegetical things. And I don't know if there's anything crazy in here, like you said, John, but that last verse Maybe, maybe I'm all wet or I hear it this way, but I think we've always heard the first will be last and the last will be first as that the, the first being last or being left out. And it's not exactly what it said. He just said, even the first who can move to the end, get in. So they're after the ones who've been let out. So it's just, yeah, Jesus is, like you said, John, confounding our questioning, which is, we ask this neat theological question. And he says, like you said, 
Don't worry about them. Worry about you, which he had started the chapter with. Are these bad guys so bad? No, no. Why don't you worry before God punishes you for your sin? Yeah. You repent or you will perish, right? Uh, John, uh, any any thoughts related to that or that juxtaposition of inclusive, exclusive? or? Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Um, and these people, and, and we do too by nature, we, we answer these things all the wrong way. Why am I included or why am I excluded? You know, in the context of many who Jesus is speaking to, they, they would have thought, I am going to be included in the party, in the kingdom, because I have roots to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am an Israelite, and, and on the the surface, I belong to the right surface organization. Um, and actually, that kind of attitude is exactly what's going to get them excluded from that, because they're not looking to the narrow door of Jesus, they're looking at themselves. The people they would have been sure would be excluded from this would probably be many of the dirty Gentiles who lived all around them. Uh, and well, the people who lived in their own borders, too, were people like prostitutes and tax collectors and Thieves who are so bad, they get crucified. Um, and isn't it just amazing? You know, chiasm, we could say paradoxes, ironies, really, that, that come out of this. That it, it all just gets turned upside down. Uh, and, and we see that even as Jesus completes this mission, essentially, eventually in Jerusalem. On the day he dies on the cross, one of those who would be labeled the last, uh, a thief next to him, comes to believe. One of those who would be labeled the first, uh, the high priest, does not believe and will be damned. Just so interesting. Jesus is almost predicting exactly what's going to happen by the end of this Jerusalem journey and still continues to this day. Yeah. Uh, what about the phrase, um, make every effort to enter through the narrow door? Um, how, how would you uh, explain that in the course of a sermon? Um, what, what does that mean in, in different terms? to make every effort to enter through the narrow door or what I could ask, what does it mean? What does it not mean? Um, how would you define that for your listeners? I just jump in. Maybe this uh, on that, that first word is just a, a, a really neat picture. Uh, agonizis. Uh, you can almost hear the word agony in it. <laughs> so it, it is striving. That is, a uh, athletic term that often was used like an athlete in the Olympic games, just pushing on and pushing on. Um, I think it's other sections too we think about in scripture where, where Paul encourages us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, the, the context is important. Who is Jesus speaking to? And he's speaking to people who have already heard the truth and, and so forth. Um, I really liked how Ben summarized it in his summary of the um, second lesson too. Mount Sinai is not the way. The law is not the way that we strive and get our way into heaven. In a sense, we work really hard to focus on the fact that all of our works can't win us heaven. It's refocusing on Jesus. I agree that this is kind of a thing you're going to have to talk out so we don't give the wrong impression that uh, confuse people that they're working their way in. Ben, any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah it's, um, it, you, you got to get him to Jesus, right? If he says, I'm the way, so make every effort. It, you're, you're asking them, he's asking this guy who's trying to ask a question about election. Who's saved? Why are some saved? That's, that's behind it. Um, and he says, well, let's think about you. What road are you driving on? You know, because a lot of people, um, like you said, John, they assume they're already in the kingdom for one reason or another. Um, or they might be surprised to find out 
you're not actually doing as well as you thought you are. Um, maybe an illustration for that would be like a food diary. You know, if you're struggling to lose weight, you think I'm exercising like crazy, but I still, I'm not losing weight or I'm gaining weight. You do a food diary, you discover, oh, I'm eating 25 Twinkies a day. And, and I, I had five breakfasts and, you know, and Jesus, I think is pointing at that where, um, if you discover suddenly that you are not devoted to the Holy church anymore, if your life is not holy, that's the first petition, right? You know, your, your holy name, which is in my teaching and my living, is that's why I keep God's name holy. What a surprise if I discover I'm not actually on the path to salvation because I'm, I'm not devoted to the word, to the fellowship, to the supper, to, to the prayers. That, that was the program. That's the constitution of the church. Devotion to the word. And, and, and he's, he's exposing the possibility that we're not actually on the path. And so that every effort, like you said, John, um, as believers, we, we want to be. So he, he's not, I mean, this isn't an altar call, but, but he's just saying, are, are you seeking out the sacrament? Are you praying to the Lord like crazy or at least a little bit? Uh, what are you reading? Who are you listening to? You know, where are you going to church? You know, what, what's your podcast list look like? You know, are, are you always sending your Lutheran pastor links from the, 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 the latest Baptist preacher? Uh, why are you listening to that all the time? No, where's, where's, where, where are you driving? Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a call to assess where you are spiritually. Um, and yeah, what path are you walking down? Um, and to get away from just assuming, well, I'm in the right people group. I come from the right tradition uh, or this external or that external or whatever, whatever it might be. And because of that, I think I'm fine. Um yeah, isn't it a call to say, give it more thought than that. Um, yeah, really take a look at where you're at and where you're headed, where you are um, with Jesus and his word and sacraments, um, and uh, take, a, take a hard look at that. Um, and then, yeah, I agree. I, I like that parallel passage you brought up, John, of uh, Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It, yeah, it's not an Arminian altar call. It's nothing like that. But it is rather saying you have the Holy Spirit active in your life through word and sacrament. Um, uh, through his power, take a look at where you are, repent, turn to Jesus, receive that forgiveness and that power to uh, make sure you are on that path. Um, I don't know, does that kind of... Uh, help flesh out where we might go in our sermon with um, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Yeah, I, I think that's a good summary. You know, our, we, we drown our sinful nature daily, but that soccer, soccer can still swim, right? Swim <laughs> through it would say we, we we're called to keep fighting. And, and I think that, that's where this, some of the specific law really hits me from this text, you know, where you just ask that question, is that what I'm doing? Am I, am I agonizing? Am I striving? What, what do I strive for? You know, that, and am I in that intense saying, wow, I, I just need to spend more time today in the word, in the sacrament. Um, and, and if that means watching Netflix less, if that means surfing less, if that means avoiding that website, if that means drinking less or doing less of this or that, whatever it's going to be, where I often run to that isn't Jesus, I, I'm willing to say none of that. Um, or for our, our people too, you know, do, do they think, well, it's good enough. I um I go to church on ma most major holidays. Um, I, I'm a, I have my name on the roster as my family has at this church for three decades. 
we had our children christened, or, or do we call it baptism? You know, you know, pastor, it's okay. Um, I, I don't really need to go to Bible study, right? And, and Sunday school or a midweek Bible study, we're busy. All those attitudes can just crop up in my heart and, and in our people's hearts too. All these reasons why we don't think we really need to strive. And Jesus wakes me up here out of love because he loves me that much. Right, right. Yeah. So Jesus is not content to let me just uh, say, hey, I wonder who's going to heaven. And I wonder if it's those people or those people. Jesus loves me enough to say, let's talk about you. Uh, and because I am interested in you feasting at the eternal, uh, at the eternal feast. Um, so I'm going to tell you some hard words now if, if it moves you along that path. Yeah. Um, here's a, a Luther quote I found. Maybe I, I could share it. Um, this is um, related, I think, to, I think of then uh, you summarizing the Hebrews reading uh, that occurs on this Sunday also. Um, Luther says, uh, see that you go through the narrow door, for I tell you, many will seek to go through it. I will not be able to, from our text, uh, Luke 13, 24. Why not? Because they don't know what the narrow door is. It is faith, which makes a person small. Yes, even makes them into nothing at all, so that he must despair of all his works and cling only to Christ and let go of all things besides him. But there are the Cain-like saints, uh, Cain, C-A-I-N, and saints, he probably means sarcastically here. The Cain-like saints believe that the narrow door is good works. Therefore, they do not become small, and they do not despair of these works. Instead, they collect them into huge sacks, hang them on themselves, and want to go through the narrow door like that. But they will go only through as a camel with the huge humps on his back may go through the eye of a needle. So I thought that was an interesting take from Luther. So he kind of pictures um, what is the narrow door? Well, ultimately it's trusting in Jesus, uh, not in ourselves, which a lot of Jesus listeners here in Luke 13, that, that was where they were getting tripped up. Um, it was all about them. Uh, the Mount Sinai route, right? Um, and Luther pictures it kind of as, uh, you know, all the things you were mentioning, John, um, here's my uh, church background and my multi-generational family's been in the church. I'll throw that into the sack and here uh, uh, that I'm carrying on my back. And, and um, here's my semi-regular attendance at most church holidays. And I'll throw that in. That's to my credit or whatever it is. And we pile all this stuff into our sack and um, throw it over our shoulder and then try to get through this tiny narrow door and are shocked to realize that we don't fit. And it's only when we say, yeah, this is, this is nothing to my credit that gets me through the door. It's, it's just Jesus. It's just grace and grace alone. Um, so I thought that was an interesting angle from Luther, um, as he often gives us on these texts. Ben? Yeah, I, as you're reading that, um, I added one more possible you know, theme to my, my list. You know, Jesus makes us small. Because that, that was an image that kind of, I'm looking across some of my other notes here, and, and it came up the he said, obviously, the narrowness of the gate. So we start with the, the salvation itself was small. I think, John, you said this in your summary that, um, you know, Jesus himself goes towards a door that fits only one, him. Only he could get through the door of crucifixion. And, and now this door that he wants us to get through is so incredibly tiny. And, and that all those images you had with, with Luther. So it's this confined, tight space. And it's almost like only one at a time can get through the door. 
you know, I think of every three stooges I watched where at some point all three of them tried to go through a door at the same time. Right. No, no, you got to, someone's got to get through. And that really is how we enter the church, isn't it? One at a time through baptism, being born again, hearing the word of Christ, we enter the church one at a time. And that's how the church works, which is ironic. Here's, a, here's another reversal because what parable did Jesus just tell about the church becoming so incredibly large uh, and, and holding everything and yeast spreading? So he's got this huge church and we're looking around for this huge church. And then he tells us, well, actually, it's a narrow gate to get in. It's this tiny thing. So which is it, Lord? And, and so we're, we're so confused. And now he says, not only do you just get through individually, can be concerned about your salvation, but the church tends to go this way. Only rarely is it thousands at a time. Usually it's one at a time. Let me talk to you. Let me bring Christ to you. It's about a personal conversion, personal forgiveness, one at a time. So small. But it's a good small because it's the gardener. Go back to the beginning of the chapter. The gardener digging around one tree, one fruitless tree. And it just so happens that it's me that he's digging around, fertilizing me, getting me to be just pruning me, trimming me to be the perfect size to fit through this incredibly narrow door. There's only one way. All the other paths are so bad you can be called an evildoer. There's just this one way and I want to get you through it. So there's there's ways doing. I'm trying to, I'm doing everything in my power to get you through the door. <laughs> That's yeah. Jesus here. Yeah. 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 And uh, at the same time, it, yeah, there are those, again, these the juxtaposition of the, the narrow door one at a time, yet who can come in one at a time brought by Jesus? Uh, well, people from the East and West and North and South, you know, this global, this would be the global thing, but one at a time. Um, right. So it's both and uh, this uh, global church um, that Jesus saves one soul at a time um, as he as he calls out through the spirit and the word and the water and, and brings people into his family and into his feast. Um, any uh, potential um, ideas for uh, illustrations, applications um, that you're working with. I know, uh, John, I like the one you mentioned before about uh, the, the Navy SEALs. Um, yeah, imagining one asking, yeah, tell me about all the other guys uh, who are, are training here. Yeah, well, that's not the, the ones you have to worry about. It's, it's you you need to be concerned with. Um, any other ideas uh, for illustrative material or applications? Yeah, we've probably seen this in our ministries, even as a living illustration at times, perhaps um, some pastors listening to this can think of someone who started their Bible information class who had almost no church background. <laughs> probably, you don't even know if they believed. And throughout the course of it, almost up to a year or more, uh, the spirit goes to work through the word and this person not only comes to believe, but just grows and flourishes and, and is is loving the walk of faith almost in the discipleship. And ironically, then you compare that person to some people who had been in your church for years, but they were confirmed years ago. They're, they're good enough. <laughs> um, they're uh, on the outside. They, they give enough. They've done some things around church and you almost see that the last becoming first, you know, we can see this even around us. Some other just practical examples to make this shocking to our people, perhaps, um, I don't know if you'd use this or not, but you think of a, this sounds shocking to the world to, to imagine that uh, someone like a mass murderer on death row could hear about Jesus from a prison ministry representative and come to believe and end up in heaven. Well, someone like Gandhi could end up in hell. 
<laughs> the way we think is that that's that's not right. You know, the the last of the earth, uh, the the dregs could come to believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's called grace. And and where it really the rubber hits the road is that that's me. <laughs> that's me. I'm I am the last. Jesus became last, so I could become first. He he took upon the cross all of 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 my guilt and shame, and so now I am first in Him. How shocking! What, what shocking love this is. Yeah, yeah. Um, any potential uh, theme ideas or ways you would um, structure this sermon? Um, anything you're working with or ideas that uh, you kind of have in mind you want to refine a little further? One I, I did, I look back in my files, I preached on this text um, a few years ago. I kind of posed it as a, done this a few times, posed it as a question. Um, so what does Jesus mean when he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door? And then as the first option, I give a wrong answer, but maybe, you know, one that makes you think a little bit. So how about this? Does Jesus mean I need to be from the right uh, ethnic group or social group? because everybody from a certain group automatically gets into heaven's feast. Well, no, that's not what he means because it's right here in the text. He points out that um, some of the, the ethnic descendants of Abraham are, are going to be excluded. Um, that's not it. Then uh, as uh, the next option and answer, what does Jesus mean? Maybe one that makes you think a little bit more. How about this? How about those with some acquaintance with Jesus will get in? And here I was thinking of, um, you know, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. Uh, you know, I have some connection to some visible church organization. That's what God's looking for, right? Uh, but no, the master in the story um, doesn't change his response when people say, we ate and drank with you, you taught in our streets. Uh, well, how about this option? Those who do good and have totally pure lives will enter. Um, well, Jesus says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob um, will be entering the feast. They didn't really have pure lives. Scripture records for us their flaws, their sins. Um, how about this then? Those who trust in Jesus, the one who journeyed to the cross for us, will enter the feast. And really, there's no other way. Um, so kind of narrowing it down, posing the question, what might Jesus mean, and kind of ruling out options um, so I, I do that occasionally in sermons, and it's also kind of a way of modeling um, for, for listeners, how do you go about asking a question, what does this text mean, and then kind of using scripture to narrow down, uh, get things down to the, the right answer. So, so that's just maybe one, one possibility of structuring the sermon. Any I, I, I liked a couple of things you said that you hit on the point there, John, that, um, you know, this isn't only people who are church people think they're going to get in in our day and age. Well, I'm socially conscious. I'm, I've been involved in this. I've done enough good works. I like how you brought that out there. <laughs> um, but working through those and going, no, he's, he's the only way. Yeah. 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 What I like about that approach is it, I mean, I think we've at least implicitly hammered the guy for asking a silly question or, or maybe even, Kind of like John four asking the, either a question to get a pat on the back. Well, certainly you are for being such an astute theologian, or trying to you know just uh, you know throw throw a, a head fake at Jesus. But he did the exact right thing. If Jesus is for anything, it's for asking theological questions. 
And, and so the, the approach in your, well, let's ask Jesus some theological questions and let's see what his answers are. And, and even asking a question about election isn't wrong. It, and, you know, Jesus, if, you know, he didn't write it the way the formula did. The formula said, let's not dive into God's hidden will. <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. let's see what God reveals. And Jesus reveals, you know, let's make it a little more indiv- in, individual. But, but it, when we don't know an answer, doggone it, let's go to Jesus and, and, and pursue and, and track this down and, and hear what he has to say. And, and yeah, it, it, there's just so many, I have such a hard time narrowing down maladies and specific gospels to one thing. I got like 47 things, including you talked about the, the examples they gave of their pride. We ate and drank with you. Oh, good. Good for you. And what did you do when you did? Like, let's think of every meal people had with Jesus. Uh, they yelled at him for who he sat with. They complained about the food they ate. Uh, they begged for more food. They whispered about it behind their back. And oh, by the way, at the most important meal he ever ate, someone plotted to hand him over to Satan. Mm-hmm. So that's not really something to brag about there, how much you ate with him. But but at least you asked the questions. That's that's something. So yeah, that, I think that's a, a good approach for, for that to model taking our questions to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just an idea. There would be, uh, I, I think, another approach is kind of to make handle the two main thoughts, the um, there is only one way, the narrow door, and then in the second part of the text, but this door is open to all, um, you know, uh, and uh, again, focusing on um, kind of as the overarching theme, Jesus' love for his passion for getting people to heaven. That's why he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise. That's why he is saying these hard words to people um, so that they look to him alone. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's, uh, so much more we could say as always, but maybe let's call it, uh, for today. Uh, Ben, John, thank you very much for your work and your insights and, uh, the Lord bless all you preachers as you proclaim the word of grace to your people.